Coming up today on The Virtual Couch, we're going to take a look at the backside of anger. Find out what it really looks like to do anger management behind the scenes. And if you're a Disneyland fan at all, you're really going to want to tune in because we're going to talk about the backside of water as well. That and more coming up on The Virtual Couch. Hey, everybody. We know one of the uh, one of the things that you would think would be a really, really good thing about having a busy, thriving therapy practice is uh, that you have a lot of people that want to see you. But can I tell you, as a therapist with a, a, a very busy, thriving practice, that part is it can be overwhelming because you get into the profession because you want to help everybody. But you can't you can't help everybody. And so that's why I have partnered with the folks at BetterHelp.com. Um, again, that's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash virtual couch. BetterHelp.com is the world's largest e-counseling program. And their mission, and they're doing a great job of it, is to make professional counseling accessible, affordable, and convenient. So that anybody who struggles with any of life's challenges can get help anytime, anywhere. And again, it, uh, if you go to BetterHelp.com slash virtual couch, there, there is a special offer. You can get um, 10% off of the cost of your first month's counseling. So again, that's betterhelp.com slash virtual couch. And uh, I'll okay, let's go off the script here. Um, I've been checking BetterHelp out a lot. They, there is so much documentation there. It's incredible. If you go read the reviews, uh, I had this little moment where I was reading a lot of reviews, and it was people that do spe specific types of counseling. There's some trauma counseling. There's some things like that. And there's things that I know a fair amount about, and if somebody came to see me about the topic, I would feel pretty confident in, uh, in helping the person. But, man, BetterHelp.com has some therapists that are very, very specialized, and uh, and so it's just, it's an incredibly broad range of expertise in their counselor network. And, and the truth is you might not have that expertise available in your area, and this is available for people worldwide. You, you can log into your account anytime. You can send messages to your therapist. And the assessment is what I've done. They gave me a, an account, and so I am going through the assessment right now. I'm going to talk to somebody. Maybe I can talk to them about what it's like to try to um, you know, balance a busy practice with a lot of people that are sending very nice emails but who want to be seen. Um, but I'm doing this assessment, and the assessment tools are pretty, uh, pretty impressive. And so they'll, they assess your needs, they match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating in under 24 hours. I True story, today I had to reply back to somebody and first tell them that I was full, and uh, they said, no, really, I, you know, I'll wait. And, and I didn't even want to tell them like, how long the wait is. So um, BetterHelp.com, I think they have its uh, 4,000 therapists or 4,500 therapists access to, so you can get in and see somebody pretty quick. But go check out the reviews, BetterHelp.com slash reviews. And again, go to BetterHelp.com slash virtual couch. That's BetterHelp.com. And uh, join over 500,000 people that are taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. And, and I'll leave you right here. Special offer for Virtual Couch listeners. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Virtual Couch. And one more quick thing. The, the price um, for therapy, it, it actually really is. I had a couple of people email me after I get, did the big intro before episode 140. And it is. It's a little more affordable than... Uh, than, some, than a lot of traditional therapy. Um, and again, it's licensed professional therapists. So betterhelp.com slash virtual couch. Um, if, you, if you just are thinking about going to therapy, go check it out. And uh, let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to episode 142 of the virtual couch. This is take six of the intro. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, ultra marathon runner, and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography recovery program that is helping people like you reclaim their lives from the harmful effects of turning to pornography as a coping mechanism, as a habitual pattern, as a way to check out, as a way to tune out. If you or anyone that you know is struggling to put pornography behind them once and for all, and trust me, it can be done, and done in a healthy, 
cup-filling, strength-based, hold-the-shame way, head over to pathbackrecovery.com. There you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to overcome pornography addiction. Again, that's pathbackrecovery.com. Oh, I think we can keep this one. And please take a second and visit the virtual couch on Instagram at virtual couch. And you can now find a virtual couch page on Facebook. And there's always the Tony Overbay licensed marriage and family therapist page on there as well. And last but not least, stop by TonyOverbay.com and sign up there to find out more about a lot of really exciting programs and things that are coming soon. There we go. We're keeping this one. Let's get the episode. Hey, all right. Uh, welcome back. Um, that was a little bit of a rough start, the the opening. It wasn't like I was uh, totally botching the beginning, but I would just uh, I would mumble something. I would I would skip a word. I would pause at an awkward place. So uh, glad to have that one um, behind me. But I've been wanting to do this episode for a very long time. And first, the name of the episode. So admittedly, a lot of times I quite I don't really know what the name of the episode is when I'm recording. Um, and it's not like there are these miraculous names because admittedly naming episodes is not my strong suit. But uh, this one, I have actually thought about it for a while. I've thought this one out. Uh, this episode is called The Backside of Anger. So if there are any Disneyland fans out there, Disney World fans, then I, I feel like I'm about to veer off on a tangent. And I promise you it's going to make sense. So the next, the, the information I'm going to share is from a website called DisneyDispatch.com. And it was written back in 2011 by a gentleman named Jeff Kober. So here it goes. He says, to Disney fans and especially Jungle Cruise enthusiasts, the expression, the backside of water, holds a very unique image in their minds. If you are a Jungle Cruise fan at all, you're, you, you're going to remember this. Then there we are, the backside of water. If you're not, uh, look it up on YouTube or on the internet. You'll, you'll, you'll catch up here really quickly, and I think it'll, uh, it'll kind of help add a little bit of texture to the story. So here's the story. The original Jungle Cruise attraction at Disneyland featured Schweitzer Falls, a tribute to African missionary Dr. Albert Schweitzer. Or as many a Jungle Cruise skipper has poked fun at it, Quote, a tribute to Dr. Falls. And again, this is from the article on DisneyDispatch.com uh, by Jeff Cobra. I am literally reading this thing verbatim. Schweitzer Falls has been a focal point of the Jungle Cruise since the ride was constructed in 1955. And the Jungle Cruise was, and in many ways still is, one of the most important attractions at Disneyland. It was important that it be as exciting and dramatic as possible. Um, kind of a whole funny side note there. If you, you know, right beside the Jungle Cruise is the Indiana Jones ride. And uh, I mean, I think that one could argue that that's probably a little bit more exciting or dramatic than the Jungle Cruise. So kind of funny to think that when it was constructed in 1955, the Jungle Cruise was dramatic and exciting. Now, um, I love it because I'm getting old and it's fun to kind of sit in a boat and then you hear a whole lot of funny jokes and puns. And I kind of feel like they're grandpa jokes and I'm, I'm heading toward uh, grandpahood at some point, I'm sure, in the not too distant future. So those are my kind of jokes. Um, but the falls in many ways was a focal point first seen as your boat swings around to avoid it, and then again later as your boat motors behind it, the sensation of going behind the falls has long been a nearly tangible, tactile experience. In fact, it was so successful that the mine train through nature's wonderland later created a similar experience through the falls of Cascade Peak. Now bear with me here. The effect has been replicated in the Jungle Cruise at Walt Disney World and at Tokyo Disneyland. You can even find a reference to it in Port Orleans at, Dixie's, at Disney's Dixie Landings Resort. Quick 30-second tangent, uh, once my buddy Jim and I, Jim who hosts the Sad Dads uh, podcast that I co-hosted, um, not once but twice a few weeks ago, um, but uh, we were in Tokyo for a business trip, and we just wanted some, we wanted a Disney, like a Tokyo Disneyland sweatshirt. We didn't have a whole lot of yen on us, so we pooled our yen, and Jim went in for the day, sprinted around the park, and all of the merchandise was actually American Disneyland merchandise, 
So, uh, so we came out with nothing. It came out empty handed and we were out about a hundred bucks. So there's my Tokyo Disneyland experience, but back to the story. But what does it really mean? Um, the backside of water, the answer may very well be found by visiting Prince Charming's regal carousel in the magic kingdom at Walt Disney world. Many guests don't know that the carousel is the magic kingdom's oldest attraction made by the Philadelphia toboggan company back in 1917. That's even before I was born. While the carousel is very ornate with its original carved horses, here's what's kind of fascinating, the details are always found on the outside of the horse. A carnival owner making such a purchase would want the horses to be handsomely crafted to attract potential riders, but they cared little for what was on the back. Take a look at the oh, accompanying images on the horses. Go to DisneyDispatch.com and look up this article. They do show um, pictures of what the back of the horses looks like. And uh, Jeff Kober says, notice the difference in the amount and quality of the trim from the outside of the horse as compared to the inside. Most of the attraction is paid to the outside. From the intricacies of the carving itself to the amount of the painted detail and even the use of gems and other trimmings, there's a difference between the front side and the back side of these horses. He goes on to say, even as you proceed to horses further toward the center of the carousel, the detail becomes minimized. Put the detail on the front side. This was the sentiment of carnival owners when Walt Disney dreamed of building a park in the orange groves of Anaheim. Walt understood the importance of a, I've never heard this phrase, a weenie at the end of the stick as a means of attracting people as to what lay ahead. But he also understood that the weenie itself had to be of some worth. When creating tiny stained glass windows in Pinocchio's village to be added to the storybook land canal boats, an artist suggested using a lesser material than the actual stained glass. After all, quote, the guests can't see it. And Walt squelched by saying, I can see it. I love that, right? He paying attention to detail. Such is the backside of water. You can see it. You can practically touch it. And while water really looks the same on one side as it does on the other, Walt and every Jungle Cruise skipper ever since has made something that was no big thing into a really big thing. So there you have it. If you are a Jungle Cruise fan, you'll know, uh, you'll, you'll know, you'll, you'll now be this annoying person who will want to tell that story whenever you're at Disneyland. But please tell it because I think it's fascinating. And if you're uh, not necessarily a Disneyland fan, you can still pull some pretty incredible principles from the concept of the backside of water. What is the backside of water in your life or something that somebody else can't or won't see, but that it's important to you? Sort of kind of the, goes to that concept of character, right? What do you do when people aren't looking? And I did an episode on character um, quite a while. It was about one of the earlier episodes of the Virtual Couch. I, I recommend you go find it. So what do you do when somebody isn't looking? So today I want to talk about the backside of anger. So now maybe you can see where I'm going with this. And maybe more importantly, the backside of anger management or what it looks like to not realize you have a problem, potentially lose all that's important to you, uh, go on an absolutely phenomenal journey of self-discovery and still not necessarily have your accomplishments recognized or maybe even validated by the one person that you hope will notice. Now, I want you to know that I am going to protect, I, I am protecting the identity of the individual who provided me with the data, um, with the information for today's episode. So please understand that the names and details of the story that I am going to tell have been changed. Straight up, I've changed them. I've significantly changed them and I've got the okay from the person. I don't want to come anywhere near breaking this person's confidentiality because that is a big fat no-no in my business. But I need this episode out there in the world and understand that I have worked with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of men on the topic that we're talking about today, anger and the lack of control that men often have with their anger, AKA anger management. And that's why we're taking a look at the backside of anger. So anger, and this is extremely oversimplified. I've got a whole episode on anger, as a matter of fact, that's a year or so old as well. But anger oversimplified is often a control issue. If you can't get your kids to obey by talking nicely, what do parents often do? Um, they yell and they scream and their kids respond. And after a repeated pattern of this type of condition response, um, I can't tell you how many parents have sat in my office and said, I, I, that's, I have to, I have to yell to get them to do anything. 
and uh, and they wonder why their kids only respond at all when they yell. And I get it. I really, really do. Um, I feel like, uh, boy, here's another plug for mindfulness, learning how to pause a little bit uh, or a plug for nurtured heart approach of being able to not let someone push your buttons. But that's a whole other episode for a different day. So when you're cutting your teeth in therapy, you often end up doing a fair amount of anger management groups. I've honestly never looked into why that's the case, but uh, I did my share working with teenagers with anger, uh, men with anger, did a lot of group work around learning to express anger through words, um, even at one point through art. That was kind of cool through exercise. But for most folks who struggle with anger issues, they often don't deal with them. And you'll usually get an opportunity to do anger management with someone if they've been mandated by the courts because they've been arrested or there's been a restraining order filed, or a spouse is filing for divorce, um, then they may be willing to go to a counselor just to find, or maybe to appease their spouse. But, and again, generalities, but often they don't take it seriously. So today's episode is honestly about uh, someone that I had worked with uh, long ago. I won't share a time frame. It could have been a decade ago. It could, I could still be working with this person. But, and actually, okay, well, I'll go ahead and share that I haven't seen this person in a while. And uh, I've been hanging on to this in essence then since before I even started doing podcasts. And uh um, and knowing that at some point I really wanted to tell the story. So I've been hanging on to it to make sure that this person truly has changed at the level that I thought they had. And upon last check-in, they're only getting better. Um, and, uh, but even the, the, you know, the word better is loaded, right? So let's just call this person Chuck for no reason other than that's the first name that came to mind. And I even sat there and thought about why, why did I go with Chuck? And, uh, I don't know if it's a Charlie Brown reference. I don't know. I'm not really sure. But again, the details have changed, but Chuck came to see me because of anger management problems. Specifically, Chuck did something that frightened his spouse and kids, and his spouse asked him to leave. And uh, Chuck was sent to me by his church leader and said, Chuck, Chuck needs anger management. So when I first started meeting with Chuck, I really did find myself liking him. I mean, he's, he's likable. He's one who you would consider, um, for the most part, a gentle giant, meaning that I did realize every time I shook his hand that he could fit several of my hands in his and that he could probably have crushed my hand easily if he felt like it. His, his physical presence alone could be intimidating. Um, this is somebody who would, you know, uh, very, in, it had been in some good shape. And, uh, and I was sure that that played a role in what led him to me. Um, Chuck was from a culture that valued family tremendously. I learned so much from him about how family should and could rely on to count on each other, particularly at times in need, uh, holidays, family celebrations, birthdays, anniversaries. Um, Chuck and his extended family were uh, very spiritual, more spiritual than I was for sure. And often when we spoke, I found myself making note that I needed to up my spiritual game. So unfortunately, though, Chuck also shared with me that anger and sometimes violence could be a part of his culture as well. Not as an excuse, but simply kind of the way it was. And we'll talk about that more in a minute. Um, I felt like it was a bit of you only know what you know. And and if that makes sense, this is a concept I see in therapy often. Uh, Example, couples therapy. I'm often trying to teach, for example, a better way to communicate. And I realized that a couple may never have seen a model of what I'm even trying to teach. And I'm telling you this, this, I forget this. I, I really do forget this at times. I'm sitting here preaching this emotionally focused therapy, this EFT model that will change the dynamics of a relationship and people will be able to communicate with empathy and no fixing and judgment. And, and I'll just get these blank stares at times. Literally, sometimes people with their, their eyes are kind of uh, going uh, shut, shutting because they're just like, you know, okay, when you're done, can we get back to you? Tell me who's right and who's wrong. Or can you tell, can you help me tell my wife that she's crazy? And and it's the thing where people don't even know what I'm even trying to teach. So again, you only know what you know. So, so they don't even necessarily have a reference point to work from. So they truly don't know what they don't know. So when I first started seeing Chuck, I immediately uh, gave him my speech of what to do 
when your wife says she may not want to be married any longer. And surprisingly, I have a podcast on this as well, How to Navigate a Breakup. And it goes a little something like this. Again, oversimplified. Please go, go, go listen to the podcast. Um, I tell the person, you have to raise your own emotional baseline. So that's a lot of self-care to a point where either she'll see you as the guy that she fell in love with or this guy that she's always dreamt of being with. So again, your emotional baseline is high. Or then even if she doesn't want to continue in the relationship, you're that guy coming from a high emotional baseline. So if you do end up in a new relationship, you're in a much better place and you're in a position to be a great co-parent moving forward. So that's significant. So, you know, in general, that sounds, I don't know, maybe it sounds easy. I know that it's not. But so, so when I first start working with Chuck, that's the thing. And on that note, and I think I said this in the navigating a breakup, it's pretty fascinating because I, you know, again, you start to see these things patterns over and over again. And if you get somebody and their wife has just asked them to leave, um, you know, they'll just, it's, it's really fascinating to see the kind of the stages that they go through, not necessarily like stages of grief and loss, um, but denial, I guess a little bit, denial, anger, a little bargaining, a little depression, a little acceptance. Sure. We can go a little dabbed on this thing. But, uh, but a lot of times there's this, wait a minute, they'll, you know, they'll think literally in session, wait a minute, she said she's never going to leave me, you know, as if I'm like, okay, uh, shoot her a text. Like she might not have thought about that. So I think you might be good, you know? Um, no, that's not the case. I mean, it's like we're, we're here where we are now. So, so the problem is that guys struggle a lot when their wives aren't sure if they want to be with them, kind of a little bit of a no-brainer. And so often they have almost these like visceral reactions where they want to let their wives know how hard it's going to be for them financially, or they wait until they realize, you know, wait till they realize how difficult it's going to be for them to try and go back to school or try to go back to work or whatever else they'll say. And I will immediately let them know that if they want a surefire way to not rebuild the relationship, then go ahead and let her know all of those things because what's the goal in that situation? Guilt her back into the relationship. I've only seen a couple of times where someone has um, guilted their spouse back into a relationship and uh, it is, you know, you, what have you done? You don't, the relationship isn't, uh, um, there's nothing new. Nothing has, no, nothing has grown. There are no new tools if you just simply guilt somebody back into a relationship. So again, here's where I go back to raise your emotional baseline, learn EFT, learn nurtured heart parenting, learn mindfulness, learn to uh, up emotional baseline, you know, put yourself in a spot where you are desirable, where you are in any good spot to be able to communicate effectively, to listen to the things that your spouse has said. But again, that's a whole other podcast. So let's get back to Chuck. So Chuck recently sent me a very lengthy text. Chuck and I check in from time to time and I, I can honestly say that I miss working with him. So he, he truly accomplished his goals in therapy and so it wasn't productive for us to continue to meet um, because there's a cost involved. He traveled a bit to see me, but I reached out uh, and he shared the following text, which again, I have completely doctored up. I am being very, very intentional about this. I have completely doctored this up as to change the details, but not the meaning. So here's what he said. He says, where do I even start? Up to this point, I can only wish I still kept a journal. Um, Or no, not even still. I already blew that one. He says, where do I even start? Up to this point, I can only wish. No, yeah, I did say that right. I still kept a journal. Um, He says, I know, right? Wishing doesn't really apply here. Uh, This is real life stuff. And of course, it still hurts. But I'm aware of the hurt. I don't try to bury it. It's a reminder of how far I've come. Um, I'm going to jump in and narrate, uh, shockingly. So this alone is, is huge. He's aware of it. He's making room for this pain. He doesn't try to bury it. This is not the Chuck of days gone by. Um, this wasn't Chuck's problem, uh, but you can probably guess that when people don't deal with pain or emotions, well, what do they do instead? They turn to other things to cope or to deal with the pain, like food, pornography, uh, games on their phone, video games, TV shows. Um, I just want to make note of that because I feel like in this context, you can see where being more aware or more mindful can be a good thing, Right. So, so he's, again, we go back to that. And first of all, too, I love that he says he still wishes he kept a journal. 
um, I'm going to be a, a very large hypocrite. Actually, a tiny hypocrite, not a very large hypocrite. Um, a less than the uh, average size man hypocrite that uh, I'm, I'm not keeping a journal. Sometimes I like to think that uh, some of the podcasts, some of the things I've written might be a, a tiny bit of a journal, but they're not. They don't replace what a journal can do. But uh, just kind of, it, it would be great to kind of keep a list of the things that you're going through, the things, your challenges, your struggles, your victories, things you're grateful for. But uh, if, you ha- if you're not doing it now, just keep a journal. It doesn't have to be in a narrative form. doesn't have to be a lot of data. Um, just something to remind you of where you're at, things that have been going on in your life. So that, but I love the fact that he's saying that he, he, um, you know, it hurts, but he's aware of the hurt and he doesn't try to bury it. He, he can kind of make room for the, the feelings that he has around his situation now. He said that I've learned that people in general are always looking for approval from somewhere, from their loved ones, coworkers, and often on social media. He said, but I understand now more of why they do and why, uh, and, and I won't try to invalidate anyone's feelings. Again, you can tell the work that Chuck has done. So he understands. He has empathy for why people are looking for approval. And it's not his job now to tell, to, to tell anyone that that's ridiculous, that's dumb, that they shouldn't do that. His job is not to invalidate anyone's feelings. And he's right. I mean, this is a need that we all have for attachment, to know that we matter, that somebody or someone or some group cares about us, is there for us or loves us. Um, so he went on to say, and I'll paraphrase a bit more here, that a particular holiday that fell on a Sunday was a day full of mixed emotions. He said he didn't want to take away from the spiritual significance of the day at all, but he had offered to let his kids spend the day with his ex-wife. But she said that he, he should take them. He said that he was truly trying to be considerate and mindful of her. He learned throughout the time that we were meeting, probably better than anyone I've worked with, to put things through what we would call the manipulation filter. Meaning, was there any manipulation behind something he was saying or doing? If so, he wouldn't say or do it. And, and I feel like he became extremely good at working things through the manipulation filter. So the example here would be if this, is a, uh, if this day is a, a day of significance and he truly feels um, empathy for his ex-wife, for his kids, and he feels like whatever this, this day is, that it would be important for them to spend the day with, with his ex-wife, then you know if, if he was being manipulative with it, it could be because he has plans that day. Um, so if he put that through the manipulation filter, then he's not going to try to say, hey, you can take the kids today. So, so this was a situation where he said that he was, he was, he said, Hey, if you would like them. Um, and he said that just like that, the conversation turned, his ex asked him to not make excuses for her, that she spent plenty of time with the kids and that holiday or not, this was another Sunday. And he said that to him, it wasn't, it was significant. And he truly wanted her to have time with them. He said that if it was up to him, he would spend every time he could with them, but he can't, that he feels like he doesn't currently have control over anything and that he has no say. So remember where anger comes from, that lack of control. So here's somebody who lost his family uh, or in the format that his family was at the time because of anger that stemmed from a lack of control. And here he is saying that he is aware that he has no control, yet he's trying to be mindful, non-manipulative and giving, even when his attempts aren't being met or understood. So just kind of take a step back and listen to that. Here's the backside of anger, right? He said that he understood that he put them in this situation but that he wasn't the one breaking up the family. Now, for the record, if he would have had my, um, I'll be the little angel guy sitting on your shoulder service that I wish I could offer, I would have 100% placed my finger in my mouth, got it incredibly wet, and inserted it in his ear, like a big-time wet willy to let him know that that was not a Tony the therapist-approved statement of him saying he wasn't the one breaking up the family. Uh, but he hadn't taken me up on this service. So seriously, though, I kind of needed to use humor here because the next sentence almost brings tears to my eyes. I think it actually did the first time I read it. He said, that's when I heard her for the first time. Blame me for breaking up the family. She said, I broke up the family when I refused to get help. 
He said, I was a little confused at this point. He said, I realized at this point um, that this wasn't going anywhere. So he said, I dialed back and I digressed a little, which by the way, he says, I've never used that word until hearing it from you. And there's a little smiley face there. He said, I thought about what she said for a minute. I calmed down and I said to her, tell me more. Like, tell me why you feel that way. That, that Tell me why you, you feel like I refuse to get help. He said, I mean, I told her that I understood now completely, which I never understood at that time that yes, it was me and that I'm the reason that we're here now, but that I didn't break up the family because I refused to get help. But now I can understand what she was saying. I had empathy for her and what she must have felt that I refused to get help that I could have and that I just decided that I didn't want to until it was too late. Do you see the change there? So now he's listening to her. He's saying, tell me more. Why do you feel like I refuse to get help? Instead, where a lot of a lot of guys at, at this time would say, you know, they would they would get angry at this point. This is where um, the the kind of emotional abuse can come into play or gaslighting or those kind of terms. When, when something that they hear hurts or stings and they have no control over the other person's emotions or feelings. So he says, I heard her. And if she felt like I just simply chose to not get help, then that would be devastating because she would feel like I just didn't care, that I didn't care enough to get help. So he said, um, I told her that I, it wasn't that I refused to get help. I told her that I was in a totally different place then. I barely had control of myself when I got upset or angry about anything, let alone think clearly. But he said, I'm not going to invalidate why she thought that way because that's the way she, she feels, that she has feelings. He said, back in the day, I wouldn't have even wanted to hear her. She probably wouldn't have even came close to telling me how she felt. And here we were, her telling me what her experience was and me hearing it. It hurt, but I'm hearing her and I have empathy and it breaks my heart. I felt it. I really did. But I just wanted her to know that it's not that I refuse to get help. I just didn't see it that way. I didn't know I needed help. He said, I realize I've been suffering from this anger problem my entire life. And for the first time in my life, I feel I have ever, I, I, first of all, he says, for the first time in my life, I feel I have more control than I ever had before. And then he said, and I love this, he said, and I'm not trying to excuse my behavior. I did the things that you know I did and that she knows I did. And I'm not trying to deny that I simply didn't know I needed help. And I definitely didn't know how to ask for help. I've learned that unfortunately some people and here's what I'm going to insert in here. Probably most people don't know how to ask for help. Some people are unable to realize that they even need help. This is him. This is Chuck again. Some people don't realize until something happens to them that they need to change, that there's a problem. It's unfortunate that it happens that way, but it does. Um, and now I'll be the one to digress here for a second. And I'll say that I remember having a lot of conversations with Chuck. And I think this explains what happens for a lot of people who don't realize how much their anger affects others. Um, I remember when they were separated and he learned of some financial struggles that his wife hadn't informed him of. Uh, he brought it up in a session and he was frustrated. And I, and I understood that, but he was frustrated because he said, basically he was saying, I mean, I can understand why she didn't want to be around me at times when I was angry, but this was our financial situation. We needed to talk about these things. I would have handled that differently. She should have come to me. And again, this was early on in, uh, in our therapeutic process. That was one of those like aha moments for me as a therapist where Chuck clearly didn't understand the kind of all-encompassing nature of anger, that it wasn't something that his wife could pick and choose what to bring to him emotionally or verbally because she never knew what Chuck she would get. Would it be the one who was happy to be home? Uh, the one who wanted to engage with his wife and kids? Would it be the one who was excited to be home? Would it, or would it be the one who wanted to detach? Would it be the one who had an extremely short fuse who would talk down to her and have a little patience for his kids? And, and I let him know um, and we worked through that his anger affected his wife across the board. 
if that makes sense. And, and I've had these conversations. These are difficult conversations, but they're conversations that need to happen. I mean, there are times where I know that, you know, man, money, what a stressor, right? Um, that there are times my wife and I have had some incredible conversations where, um, where we both can say, oh my gosh, we got to do better with money. We got to get on a budget. We have to do this. And then we, we go on a vacation or we buy something that we want. Uh, and then it's like we support the other person because it's fun to buy things and it's fun to go on vacation. And then the next week, oh my gosh, I, you know, we're, we, we really need to tighten the belt. And, and my wife one time said, man, I, I really don't know which, at times I don't know which Tony I'm going to get. The one that's like, hey, everybody, let's go out to eat. You know, or the one that says, man, we, uh, we really need to buckle down and, and uh, eat more at home. And I was like, man, you're right. Um, because quite frankly, sometimes I don't know which Tony I'm going to get, you know? So, so again, I let him know that his anger affected his wife across the board. So let's get back to Chuck. I said to her that what happened that day, uh, this is him saying this because uh, of the, he says funny word here. And I mean, in, in my home, we didn't say this one a whole lot, which is kind of funny. He said, he said, I said to her, what happened that day sucked, but I'm grateful that it did. Um, just, this is me, just sit with that for a second because it put her and the kids, and this is him back to Chuck, because it put her and the kids in a safe place and away from that toxic environment, but it also saved me. It gave me an opportunity to make huge changes in my life, to be a better person for me and for my family, to do everything that I can to reclaim my family. And if I'm not able to, then I understand. It doesn't make it any easier on those occasions where I just wish my family could be together, that my wife could truly see what a better person I've become. But again, I understand because my actions are what led us here. He even says, man, I probably sound like an imposter trying to justify uh, my way around this. Put a little smiley face in there. And he says, I apologize for the long text. He says, some days I feel like I'm going to lose it. But then the mindfulness comes along and it reminds me that it's all about progress and that it never ends. He says, I need to be present and I need to be grateful for all the blessings that I do have. And to be grateful that when I am with my kids, I'm with them, that I'm truly with them. And I care about them so deeply now. And I love every bit of them. He said, I know that this challenge, this struggle, this frustration isn't going to end immediately. It may not end. If it was that easy, um, he says, like, now I'm in a better place, so it's done. Well, that's like saying that the adversary takes vacations and that we don't have to do the work until he returns from wherever the adversary would go to take a vacation. Nah, he says, literally saying, nah, I love it. Got to always remember to be present. He says, I have so much more to say, maybe soon. Then he said, one more thing. On her birthday, I got her a, a treat and I gave her my copy of Sue Johnson's Hold Me Tight, EFT, Seven Conversations for a Lifetime. And I explained why I was giving her this book. Because I'm telling you, this one had to be put through the manipulation filter, I'm sure. Because you're handing your ex-wife, or, or if they're going through the divorce at that time, um, a book on couples counseling, right? He said, I, I explained to her how I've learned so much from our sessions, meaning his and my, and that EFT is special to me now. He said, I wish I had this when we were together. I said, you don't have to say anything back. I just wanted to share with you what has changed and transformed me to being a better man. He said, now I'm not saying that I'm, I'm healed or anything, but I'm aware of myself more than I ever have been in my entire life. So there's, there's, the, uh, there's the text, the, the long text from Chuck. Um, and again, hung on to this for a long time and I've changed so many of the details, but the meaning is there. His words are, are there. And, uh, and that's what the backside of anger looks like. That's what anger management looks like. Anger management looks like coming to realize that, uh, that you have to do this just complete change and, uh, and that it's possible. I mean, this person, this person coming into my office, I would not have put money down that this person was going to be sending me this text in this long of a time later and, and just have this complete 
just change in their entire life, that they're more mindful, that they have empathy, that they don't fix and judge, that they put their conversations through a manipulation filter, that they they have embraced the nurtured heart approach. We spent session after session talking about parenting and nurtured heart approach and how to hide your buttons from your kids and what proper responses are. And I mean, this this guy went on a journey. He really did. And uh, and it's one of those things where this 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 kind of thing is what just makes my entire job um, just worth worth doing. And so I wanted to get this story out there. If you are struggling with anger at all, or if somebody in your life is struggling with anger, um, just first step, send them send them this podcast. Let them let them see what the backside of anger looks like. And if you are getting this, or you feel like you do have problems with your anger. Even if you feel like it's just periodic or that you can get a handle on your anger at times, I want you to kind of think of Chuck's story about that concept of where, you know, well, why couldn't she come talk to me about the finances? Sure, I get angry about other things because that that anger, that intimidation, it's all encompassing. It really is. Um, that anger is something that that can affect your entire family dynamic, your entire family system. And uh, and I promise you that uh, that if you if you bring your anger to the surface really ever, you know, you're, you're, I mean, I know I'm just, I'm not expecting perfection. I promise you I'm not, but, uh, but man, work on this. I, where I was going to go with that is that whole concept of, of a spouse never quite knowing who they're going to see. Is this the, is this the nice Chuck? Is it the frustrated Chuck? Is it the Chuck that's going to come in and say, daddy's home? Or is it the Chuck that's going to come in and say, you know, um, why'd you guys leave the toys on the driveway? You know, that sort of thing. And just, if you can work on that, I promise you, you can get to a place where you are are just this just the guy that people want to be around. You're that guy with that high emotional baseline. You you're still going to have your own problems and issues and feelings and emotions. That's that's part of the human experience. But just feeling like you're authentic, feeling like you're dialed in with a parenting method, with a couples communication method that you're dialed in, at, maybe even at your work, with your health, with your faith. Um, dial those things in. There's ways to do that. And that anger subsides because guess what? Now you have more feelings of control in your life. So uh, that's all I have today. Um, thanks for joining me on this uh, journey to see what the backside of anger looks like. And uh, I will see you next time on the virtual couch. Hey, it's just me. Uh, I didn't want to play that entire betterhelp.com ad that I did at the beginning because I know it was a little bit long. I know I got a little bit fired up. I got passionate, but I wanted to try one of these uh, ads midway through. So here's the part where admittedly, if I'm listening to a podcast, sometimes I'm finding that little skip ahead button. So uh, look at that. I've been honest about that. So hopefully with that said, you maybe won't feel the need to skip ahead. I'll try to make this quick. But uh, this is just a reminder to please go to betterhelp.com, better, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash virtual couch. Um, betterhelp.com is the world's largest e-counseling program, and their mission is to make professional counseling accessible, affordable, convenient to anybody who struggles with life's challenges. They can get help anytime, anywhere. And, uh, and so, again, I think you can see why I am so passionate and excited that uh, betterhelp.com is a partner of the virtual couch. They have a broad range of expertise in a, in a lot of different areas, acceptance and commitment therapy. Um, if you're a cognitive behavioral therapy guy, if you like a little bit of nurtured heart, a little bit of love and logic, if you want some parenting help, um, go check them out uh, and go to betterhelp.com slash virtual couch. 
Um, the service is available for clients worldwide. You can log in anytime to your account and send a message to your therapist, and you'll get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. And uh, that assessment tool at the beginning is pretty impressive. They'll help you assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. And you'll start communicating in under 24 hours. So uh, what, are you, what are you waiting for? BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today in whatever way that you feel that it would be helpful for you. Parenting, um, individual counseling, uh, couples counseling, you name it. So visit their website, read their testimonials, go to betterhelp.com slash reviews, and you can check it out. But uh, visit betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com, and join over 500,000 people that are taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional therapist. And again, special offer for Virtual Couch Podcast listeners, uh, you get 10% off your first month. And, uh, and I mentioned this in the beginning, if you didn't listen to that entire um, ad, but uh, it's, it's a little bit more affordable than traditional counseling, and they also do have financial aid available. So a special offer for my virtual couch listeners, you get 10% off your first month. Just go to betterhelp.com slash virtual couch. All right, back to the show. Oxbus 